0: Hi everybody! Uh, happy Tuesday! Welcome to another Tech Check Plus live stream. Samsung, welcome.
1: Thanks, Deirdre. It's great to be back.
0: It's great to have you. Um, and also, I should mention to our viewers out there, we do have the live chat. So please write in, tweet us on the YouTube channel, uh, let us know what you're thinking. If you have any questions or comments, or if you just want to say hi to Samsung, um, one thing I love Samsung is that you're always willing to talk to us, no matter where Bitcoin is. If it's at its peak, at its low. So where are we right now? Did the last weekend catch even you off guard with Bitcoin going below 18K?
1: Um, I would have to say I didn't expect it would go that low, but uh, it is not impossible. So Bitcoin does have wild swings. It goes both ways. It can go down a lot and it go up a lot too. And this happens to be this weekend we saw it go down a lot. But uh, volatility is a lifeblood of market. So it's not necessarily a bad thing
0: volatility is the lifeguard lifeblood of markets but this is extreme volatility and what do you make of what's happening sentiment i mean it feels like some people are almost relishing and saying i told you so um and as a proponent and i guess you would call yourself a bitcoin maximalist what do you make of all of this backlash
1: well, there's a, there are a lot of people dancing on Bitcoin's grave, but we've seen this time and time again, probably 400 or so times now that Bitcoin has been declared dead and it hmm. just keeps coming back stronger How and stronger. How many times? I think 400 plus times now.
0: 400?
1: Yeah, there's a website that tracks it, Bitcoin Obituaries. So we're probably <laughs> like... You know, getting to the mid four hundreds these days. But is um, that like
0: an article that says it, or a commentator, or something? How do you how do you yeah, measure that?
1: I think everywhere, anywhere it's mentioned in uh, mainstream media on news okay. websites, and uh, it's declared dead, it gets logged and then tracked for all posterity. But I, I, I think um, Bitcoin will will come with this fi- out of this fine, but uh, crypto might be in for some trouble because that is the the cause of this latest crash. You have. Um, these uh, altcoin tokens, mm-hmm. meme coins, whatnot, they're all just imploding because their house of cards built on top of more houses of cards. And it was inevitable that it would blow up. So it started with the Terra Luna UST fiasco, and that essentially punched a $60 billion hole in the crypto marketplace. Right. And what we're seeing now is the fallout from that. So you see all the lenders um, Celsius, et cetera, et cetera, all having hard times and freezing withdrawals because they were exposed to these altcoin uh, projects, right? And you don't want to touch that stuff because that is inherently risky mm-hmm. and there is no real value there, right? They just minted tokens out of thin air and built more product and services on top of those tokens. So eventually if one of the, one of the houses of cards falls, then all of the houses fall.
0: Samson, I think that that's that's fair. You've seen sort of these implosions, terror USD, maybe what's happening with Celsius, another thing that's adding to this negative sentiment. However, can we look at even the bigger picture? Like, how do we know that this is the cause and not a symptom, right? You say that we've been here before with Bitcoin. I wouldn't say 400 times it's been declared dead. Maybe let's look at the winters, right? There's been a few winters before and Bitcoin has emerged stronger. However, the macro environment has been very, very different. Bitcoin's been around for what, about 12 years and it's always been easy money, right? The Fed has been printing. This is a moment where interest rates are going up. There's something that is fundamentally different this time. So what makes you so confident that Bitcoin is going to, the same thing's going to happen when the macro conditions are very, very different?
1: Right. So Bitcoin has to decouple. Right now, it is tracking a lot of the risk on assets like stocks, like tech stocks, particularly. And it also tracks with the altcoin market. But I think this is what we refer to as the decoupling. It has to break away from all of these things because Bitcoin is not a tech stock. Bitcoin is not a altcoin. And all those altcoins are decentralized in name only or dyno. So they're centralized protocols run on Amazon web services that pretend to be decentralized. And Bitcoin is nothing like that. Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer network of money. And also, I don't believe that we can keep on tracking things, um, like monetary policy from the Federal Reserve. So Bitcoin has to decouple from all of these things, and then we'll see Bitcoin take off. So we might be in store for a long crypto winter, but I don't believe Bitcoin will stay in that mode just because Bitcoin's value proposition is needed nowadays more than ever for exactly some of those reasons you're mentioning, right? We're seeing record levels of inflation. Um, We have 25 countries in the world that are experiencing double-digit inflation and a lot of monetary uncertainty. The entire reserve currency system is obliterated because nowadays you can see that you can have your foreign currency reserves at another central bank frozen. So the use case and the necessity of Bitcoin is just more apparent and needed more than ever.
0: But all the things that you're saying, Samson, you talked about them when Bitcoin, when market conditions were better. Why hasn't that decoupling happened? If it doesn't happen now, for all the reasons that you just outlined, inflation at record levels, um, What does? what is the catalyst that separates uh, Bitcoin from risk assets?
1: I think it's just a matter of time. So, like I said, the, the, we're experiencing... Time, but- contagion right now. So okay. you you have a massive uh, hole that was punched into the marketplace and all of these companies were fractionally reserve backed and they're starting to implode. And as they're imploding, they need to liquidate their best assets. And of course, Bitcoin is held by all crypto companies. Every crypto project that starts up, they always diversify quickly and go into Bitcoin. And you know they, they're free to do that because Bitcoin's an open network and it's yeah. permissionless. But that does have the add-on effect or knock-on effect of Contagion when they go under. So they need to liquidate their Bitcoin. And that's what, what is depressing the Bitcoin price. But if you look at Bitcoin's performance relative to everything else, we're doing far better than all the altcoin projects. I mean, just compare Bitcoin to Ethereum. There's a BTC ETH market. ETH is down massively this year. And it's not sure if it'll ever recover to previous levels. It might just keep on dropping. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing indications of that decoupling already.
0: So if Bitcoin, as you say, ultimately is not a speculative asset, but it's certainly acting as one now, what is it? With what we've been through and the huge drop off in price, it certainly has felt like a store of value. Is that what it still is? What, you know? What is Bitcoin at its core, Samson?
1: I think bitcoin is just money, money reimagined or money 2.0. Um, it money evolves on three axes, right? You have the store of value first and then you have the medium of exchange and then the unit of account. So if you look on bitcoin on a long enough time horizon on say 4 years, it does typically always go up. So it rarely drops below the 200 week moving average. Occasionally it'll dip below, like this last weekend was one of those cases. But it's not unexpected because Bitcoin is an open network and it's accessible 24-7 on, by every, everyone in every country around the world. So it doesn't stop trading and anybody anywhere can impact the price. So typically when people want to depress the price, they can do so on a weekend when people are away from yeah. their trading desk or computer. So these things do happen. But on a long time horizon, Bitcoin does keep going up. And if you zoom out, so Bitcoin's been around for 13 years now. It's, it is still a bull market, right, from inception till today. It's just up only.
0: So, Samson, if Bitcoin is money and it's time that will decouple it from other risk assets, w- when does that happen? I mean, I know in the past and you work with nation states like El Salvador, which is using Bitcoin as an alternative to fiat money, where there they see a t- like worse inflation, much worse than what we're seeing here. How does it when does it start acting like money besides time? What drives it there, if not everything that we've already seen?
1: Um, I think time and more adoption, more education. These are the only tools really that uh, that we have, right? Um, there's but been we've a massive seen
0: time and we've seen adoption,
1: but we'll see more adoption. So We have El Salvador and President Bukele made waves when he made Bitcoin legal tender and then when he announced that they're going to work on Bitcoin bonds. But now we have the Central African Republic too. Uh, President Todera, he's gone with a Bitcoin law of his own. And I'm actually planning a visit there later Mm -hmm. this year. But we already have a delegation of Bitcoiners there looking at the the economic situation and what we could do to accelerate Bitcoin adoption and more education. But um, there's other places in the world that Bitcoin is much, very much needed. Um, and there are going to be more people that understand the fundamentals of money that are going to come out in favor and support Bitcoin. So just this morning, I saw the new president of Colombia. He was saying Bitcoin is great. So I think we're just on the precipice of more nation-state adoption. And with that comes greater awareness of Bitcoin to the people of those countries. And then we see the decoupling happen maybe in the next couple of years.
0: So... And as you do this work, then, what's your pitch? What do you say to lawmakers, to government officials as to the case for why they should be using cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in particular, over fiat money?
1: Well, I would just uh, explain first that there's a big difference between uh, Bitcoin and crypto. And I think a large part of this recent implosion has been a disservice done by people in this industry that conflate the two on a regular basis. So I think Brian Armstrong of Coinbase is one of those really guilty parties that always conflates uh, crypto and Bitcoin. But crypto and Bitcoin are totally different, right? I would say there's three buckets. But
0: Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, right?
1: Uh, Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency, okay. but you have Bitcoin, you have stable coins, and then you have crypto, right? Okay. And Michael Saylor has said it too, but they're, they're, the crypto market is basically unlicensed securities. Mm-hmm. So you have 20,000 of these things and more and more being printed every day. So when you lump Bitcoin in the same bag as crypto, you're confusing either deliberately or because of malice. <laughs> Um, or incompetence the the masses and that's what harms people because they don't understand that Bitcoin is not like those other things. Um, But as we move forward and get more adoption, that's why I was saying education is so important because we need to make them understand that Bitcoin is a a new global monetary network. It's a foundation. Sorry?
0: Sorry, Samson. I I understand what you're saying, but why do you separate stablecoins then? Why is there Bitcoin, stablecoins and then crypto? Because
1: stablecoins are a midstep towards hyper Bitcoinization. But they're not
0: just, securities either?
1: I don't think so. They're they're more like um, an external exchange balance, right? And it is on open networks. So it's kind of a, a mix between the two things. It is centralized because there is an issuer of a stablecoin and there's a company working on a stablecoin. And that seems to be more or less obfuscated for the cryptocurrencies, right? They set up a Swiss foundation and say, we're decentralized. But stablecoins, they, they own up to it, right? They, they acknowledge there is a centralized party that is managing this. There is a company behind this, but it is available on an open network. And there are benefits that stablecoins bring to the market because they open up financial access to the unbanked and more parts of the world that need access to money.
0: Um, I want to get to someone on YouTube who's asking a question. Kamal says, do you think Bitcoin could reach 9K if the market drops further?
1: Um, It could always wick down, right? Because you can have cascading liquidations. You can have people dumping, uh, market dumping Bitcoin in a panic, but it'll wick back up. I don't think... uh, will stay below the 200 week moving average. I think that's about 21, 22,000. I think we'll be back over that very shortly. And we've seen that rebound happen over this weekend, but it's typically in times of low liquidity. And when people do not so smart things that Bitcoin wicks down and and goes and touches like really crazy lows, like 9K or whatever, but um, that won't last.
0: When you, when you talk about um, Luna and Terra USD sort of having that contagion effect across all of cryptocurrencies, do you think that they're, we're in for a long period of this? How many more players can be flushed out? You mentioned Brian Armstrong. You don't like what he's saying about cryptos and conflating Bitcoin with crypto. Obviously, we're watching Celsius right now. Um, what would you tell people in terms of where it's safe to keep their Bitcoin if the rest of the space is undergoing so much turbulence?
1: Well, the safest thing you can do is to take possession of your own coins. So not your keys, not your coins. You should keep them on a hardware wallet. Um, Even keeping them on your phone is better than keeping them on your phone in a non-custodial wallet is better than keeping them on exchange. And definitely lending on these lending platforms is not a good idea because Mm -hmm. you don't know what they're doing. You don't know how much uh, altcoin exposure they have. Right. So all of these platforms that had problems have problems because they they touch crypto or they touch altcoins or, you know, the other word that I'm not supposed to say on air. But, you know, (laughs) if you have exposure to those things, there's a massive amount of risk. So if you do want to lend, I would say use any platform that does peer-to-peer lending. So there's a, a platform called Huddle hoddle where you can do peer-to-peer lending. I know that Bifinex does peer-to-peer lending and a number of other platforms too. But at least there you're lending to someone else, and there is typically more collateral posted, um, so there's a higher loan-to-value. But it's less risky than say going to Celsius or whatever because they're trying to get a very high return, higher than what they're offering you because they need to make money as well and. When they need to do that, they're going to take risks.
0: Can you explain that? How does peer-to-peer lending work?
1: It would just be um, direct um, lending. So you would want to take out um, some, let's say you want some dollars, and then I would lend to you on the platform. So the platforms are just matchmaking us, but the the contract is between you and me. So and who not,
0: decides on the interest?
1: Um, the lender would uh, post a rate or if the borrower can also post an offer too, like I want to borrow at this rate. So it's really just a peer to peer uh, exploration and determination of the right rate. But But I believe the future has to be peer to peer because when you go to these centralized services, they just add a massive amount of risk and uncertainty.
0: But the biggest lenders aren't they institutions? Can they use this method? Would they or explain to me how that works, how you can make up the same volume?
1: Um, I think you could do that with uh, institutions, too. You just need a platform that goes that route. I don't think there's anything that serves uh, massive institutions that want to borrow hundreds of millions of dollars peer to peer yet. But I, I think that will come. And it's probably better when that does come.
0: So, Samson, finally, I just want to get to your prediction. I know if, a few months back when we spoke, um, you were predicting, you and Michael Saylor were predicting that Bitcoin would get to 100,000. you come back on and talk. It's gone the other way. But you are still holding that outlook. And you think that Bitcoin can get back to 100,000 by the end of this year?
1: Yeah, so I've updated my prediction to end of this year. Um, And I I think it's inevitable that Bitcoin will reach 100,000. It's just a a question of when. But all the fundamentals of Bitcoin haven't changed. The demand, the need for Bitcoin hasn't changed. The number of nation states adopting Bitcoin hasn't changed. Um, Michael Saylor buying Bitcoin isn't changing. He's going to keep on buying at these prices and even at all time highs. So everything is continuing as planned. And in less than two years, we'll have a quantitative hardening or the halving where Bitcoin supply is cut in half from 6.25 to 3.125. So it's only going to get more scarce and more valuable. And the demand is only going to keep going up.
0: Hmm. I'm not sure, though, that you've given us sort of a clear answer on what gets it there. You've said time and adoption. But Bitcoin, again, I'm just trying to understand. Bitcoin has had a dozen years. You've had some adoption. If not now, when and why?
1: Well, it takes time. Um, Money doesn't just uh, appear instantly unless it's fiat currencies that are printed and mandated. So Bitcoin is organic grassroots money. And if you look, at, look for an analogy to that, I think the closest thing you have is gold. And gold has thousands of years of history as money. So compare thousands of years to 13 years, and you can see that we're still very, very early on in the cycle.
0: Hmm. Well, Samson, thanks for being with us. We appreciate you coming on and breaking it down um, for us. And hope you'll come back and talk to us again. We'll see what happens, um, but certainly been a volatile and exciting few weeks in crypto or Bitcoin for you. I shouldn't confuse them for you, right? (laughs) Yes. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Samson. We'll talk to you again soon. And thank you, everyone.
1: It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home,
0: and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a realtor can make understanding that world
1: easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide.
0: Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.